Welcome to 101 Stage Adaptations. I'm your host, Melissa Schmitz. I'm a theater artist and arts administrator, and I wrote my first stage adaptation when I was 22. Now I'm interviewing playwrights about their own adaptations, their creative process, and how they make it all work. Welcome back to another episode of 101 Stage Adaptations. If you are enjoying this podcast, I invite you to rate and review the show wherever you are listening to this right now. Go ahead, do it right now. Today, I am joined by two guests to talk about Play Club. And if you don't know what that is, it's about to be your new hobby. But first, let me start with some introductions. Paul William Cruz tells queer love stories. As a playwright and media artist from Western Wisconsin, his work flows from his Catholic roots and ever-evolving experience of family. Paul often writes collaboratively, drawing from his years of experience as a videographer and documentarian. He is a cohort member of Audible's third Emerging Playwrights Fund, and his audio play Once Removed was an official selection for the 2022 Tribeca Festival. Paul's plays have been produced by Adjusted Realists in Brooklyn, New York, Quantum Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Vortex Theater in Austin, Texas, and in high schools around the country. Paul has developed work at the ground floor at Berkeley Rep, Yaddo, the Lewis Center for the Arts at Princeton University, and Middlebury College. Paul completed his MFA at UT Austin in 2020, and he was a fellow with the Michener Center for Writers. From 2012 to 2022, Paul was a resident playwright with Pittsburgh's Hatch Arts Collective, which he co-founded with Adil Mansour and Nicole Shiro. Amy Wheeler is a nationally produced playwright, educator, speaker, and nonprofit leader. Wheeler led the beloved Whidbey Island nonprofit Hedgebrook for many years, evolving it into a global community of influential female-identified writers authoring change in the arts, such as literary, film, TV, and music, culture, and social justice. Celebrating the culmination of her tenure in 2020, Seattle Arts and Lectures recognized Wheeler with the Prouda Literary Champion Award for demonstrating true commitment to the Pacific Northwest community of readers and writers. She holds an honorary Doctor of Fine Arts from Cornish College of the Arts, an MFA from the University of Iowa Playwrights Workshop, and she studied acting at the University of Kansas and in New York. Wheeler's front burner project is The Last Babushka, a musical she's creating in collaboration with first-generation Ukrainian-American composer Natalie Nowitzki about women living in Chernobyl's exclusion zone inspired by Holly Morris's documentary, The Babushkas of Chernobyl. She founded Play Club, a book club with a theatrical twist, a venture that's growing into a movement. Play Club's community is a cross-generational audience from across the country who are reading, discussing, and going to see contemporary plays together and meeting the most exciting playwrights writing for the American stage. Please welcome to the show, Amy Wheeler and Paul Cruz. Hello. 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 Happy to be here. I want to add to my bio real quick, which is that... Um, Melissa and I share a, biograph- a biogra- biographical fact, which is we both survived Aquinas High School in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Yes, we, Paul and I went to high school together. <laughs> I was in his brother's class two years ahead. Um, but yes, we've known, and, and I just uh, went to my 20 year reunion. So Paul, we've known each other for like 25 years. Woo. Y'all are old. <laughs> we are yeah. so old. And yet not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Without us elderly folks, Amy, this is really cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we have the same upbringing. And I'm going to talk about that more when we get into some of your work, Paul, because I was like, oh, yes. this Because <laughs> one of the things that I, I heard recently was like how – one's environment, where one grew up, how that influences the specifically the plays that they write. And Paul Cruz is a prime example of that, especially if you know the area where his, particularly daddy's is set. That's the main one that I'm thinking of, but because it's obviously set in lacrosse, but still highly influential. All yeah. All three of us show that Midwestern yeah. kind of, Amy, I, th- I see it in your writing as well. Midwestern queerness. <laughs> it's everywhere. It. It's not it just in everywhere. Anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Ah, well, since we're already back 25 years, 
I'm going to start with with Amy and ask the question I ask everybody that comes on the show, and that is, what is your first theater memory? That is such a great question because I realized that when it, you first asked that, that I don't remember theater not being part of my life. So mm-hmm. it, it goes back to my my parents. My mother studied theater at um, SMU um, and went on to be an English teacher. My father, um, I grew up in Oklahoma. My father was a, a Methodist preacher, but both of them with a very much a civil rights, social justice bent. So even then that conservative Bible Belt um, environment, I was raised very much to have a voice for the causes that I care about, and um, also raised in the church, which means that the whole idea of storytelling and pageantry and ritual and all of the things, I mean, I often say theater is my church because I feel like I grew up in that world where you're you're like putting on a show every Sunday, right? And on some level and talking about meaningful things and engaging in a dialogue and call and response. But as a queer young person growing up in Oklahoma, I didn't feel like I really fully fit into that place. And so I've, I feel like um, church was my community, but theater became my home. So, um, so I, you know, I was in theater in high school. I played Ado Annie in Oklahoma. And um, at, when I was 16, I'll share this one. We took a trip. My amazing drama teacher in high school, Diane Perkins, shout out to her, took a group of kids you know, 15, 16, 17 years old to New York from Oklahoma. And we saw several shows, but in one, I feel like one day we saw Sweeney Todd on Broadway and the Fantastics that was still running at that time off Broadway. And seeing those two productions at 16 years old blew my mind. And I was like, I want to make that and that. And I ended up getting to play Louisa in the Fantastics the next year. Um, But also Sweeney Todd, I you know, have been part of that show for a number of times over my career. So the bigness and spectacle and the intimacy of storytelling, I feel like Mm. have always been part of my life. Mm, I love it. Paul, what about you? It's so funny. I mean, I feel like this is maybe even one of the things that drew us together when we first met, which I know we'll, we'll talk a little more about, but the, um, I, I, my, when you asked this question, Melissa, so we, we got these beforehand, my mind went right to church. I thought mm. about that. Be, and it's true. I think that the, the, those early church, early liturgy experiences are what taught me about public performance. Um, it's like public beauty, public mm-hmm. um, stories. Specifically, my and my, my father, um, both of my parents are really interested in liturgy, um, liturgy and um, uh, in religious practice, but my father in particular got really excited and involved around the Triduum, which are, uh, which are the, um, the holy days at the end of uh, Lent, which is like the Easter masses. Um, and we would every year have an Easter fire and then that Easter fire uh, was kind of representing the vigil fire that the centurions kept outside of Jesus's tomb. It's a German tradition. And I think other other um, countries and cultures have a similar tradition around Easter. But anyway, I know it is a German tradition. And uh, we would start the fire at noon on Saturday of, uh, of Holy Week. So the Saturday before Easter Sunday. And the idea is that you keep it going all the way until midnight mass, which for us was like at 1030. <laughs> I think it's mm-hmm. even earlier now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you would take that Easter fire and you would light uh, a fire outside of the sanctuary at church. And from that, you would light the Easter candle and then everyone at that mass um, would have their own candle. And I just remember it's such a theatrical moment. It's mm-hmm. about light, storytelling, and there's bells and incense, mm-hmm. um, men in dresses. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, I think that for me is is a really foundational theater experience. And then uh, the other thing that came to mind were a lot of, like I was really lucky, La Crosse, Wisconsin has um, some really incredible arts organizations in it. There's Viterbo, mm-hmm. um, uh, Viterbo a College or a University? University. Viterbo University. Um, uh, University of Wisconsin-La Crosse is there. Um, and both of them I remember growing up seeing. I remember a really, <laughs> uh, I think it was Jesus Christ Superstar at UWL. <laughs> one of the first 
Uh, it's also religious, but remember a bunch of the Mansons were in that. Um, <laughs> this is a, a family, yeah, a, a family who we knew growing up. So yeah, I think about those things. So great. Uh, so from those early formative experiences, how did you decide to make a career in theater? And what did that path mm -hmm. look like for you? I'll start with Paul this time. Hmm. I think I had a really winding path to theater in that I didn't think of it as a thing that could be a job, mm -hmm. which is silly because I never, growing up knew people who, you know, for whom it was their job. But I got it into my head that if you wanted to tell stories, you had to do it through movies and film. Mm. I was lucky to have a really, really great undergraduate experience. I went to Northwestern, um, which is just north of Chicago, um, and studied uh, film and video making and thought I would be like a, you know, a movie director mm -hmm. without any real idea about how to do that <laughs> or, or what that meant. And um, one of the many reasons why I was lucky to go to that school is that I got involved in a program there called um, Creative Writing for the Media, which was a two-year kind of like certificate that you could do. And part of it was playwriting. And I had two professors, Mia McCullough and um, Rebecca Gilman, who taught me that, yes, indeed, you can make a life in the theater, and there are people alive who are playwrights. <laughs> right? Uh, which I certainly didn't really know. I mean, I just kind of, again, I think had I thought for two seconds longer about it, I would have known that sooner, but I, I really didn't sink in until I encountered these brilliant artists who were making their lives doing playwriting. And um, Mia, who's still a friend and mentor, uh, required that everyone in one of her classes submit a 10-minute play to a competition at Chicago Dramatists. Mm -hmm. And really lucky my play got selected. And I I still remember the feeling of seeing my words performed out loud. Um, and it was electric. And mm -hmm. I was just hooked. Hooked. Um, and then there's a bunch of other twists and turns that... <laughs> <laughs> that uh, led me away. I spent a while thinking I would be a priest. I came mm. out of the closet. Um, and then it wasn't until maybe my mid-20s, um, through a friendship uh, with my, you know, my best friend, Adil Mansour, um, with whom I started a theater company, that I, I really um, doubled down and was like, I want this to be my identity in my career. And so probably, yeah, my mid-20s. Awesome. Amy, what about you? I feel maybe my without thinking about it, but in retrospect, my path was a little more direct because I think I never thought really about doing anything else, which is surprising mm. also because, you know, always it's like, you know, my mom's like, what's your backup plan? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but I mean, I ended up running a nonprofit and doing other things. I really think that like training for the theater prepares you for anything you decide you want to do in life about, you know, you learn yeah. about making something with other people, collaborating, public speaking, like all of these life skills you learn as a theater artist that apply to other things. But um, so I, um, in, you know, saying I was an actor in high school, I went to the University of Kansas and studied acting, amazing program there. Um, I had the opportunity, I, I auditioned and got into the Chautauqua Theater Conservatory and went there for a summer between my junior and senior years of college. And that, I met people that ended up, um, especially the fabulous um, director, artistic director, Rebecca Guy, who um, was like, come to New York. So I, I moved to New York for almost 10 years where I was mostly acting. And then I, um, I signed up for a playwriting class and um, started telling people I was a playwright before I even took the class. There was something about just like, speak it into reality. I'm just going to say this is who I am. Because yeah. as an actor, I never really felt very empowered, especially as a, a young woman actor at that time. I was auditioning for stuff I did not want to be in that was either really reductive of who I was or was like David Mamet, <laughs> like um, insulting to who I was. Um, and also, I think, you know, a little bit of an identity um, struggle around being queer, but not being fully out. So a lot of that stuff was going on with acting. So when I started playwriting, it's like, oh, my God, I can be anybody. Nobody even needs to know who I am. I can embody all of these different characters. And so mm -hmm. I started and, and I had some some success very quickly with I wrote a, a one act play that was produced um, within two weeks of writing it. It was in this festival and then it was produced off off Broadway and then it was turned into a short film directed by my friend Jelena Tatlock um, and did the festival circuit. And then um, and then my first full length play. 
uh, was in a reading, the Fertile Ground New Work Festival in New York. And um, I was so fortunate to um, have the fresh out of Juilliard Viola Davis um, in that reading, right? <laughs> yes, that was my first full-length play experience. What? And, you know, needless to say, she rocked it. Um, and that, And those experiences caused me to go, oh, I really want to go to grad school. I want to study this. Um, so I applied for University of Iowa, the Playwrights Workshop, within like 24 hours of the deadline, very randomly. And two weeks later, they told me I was in. And so I moved oh to Iowa, um, went through that program, and then, you know, just started being a playwright. And um, I just have never looked back. It just, like like Paul said, I, I think everybody should get the chance to write something and have mm -hmm. other people up and perform it there is nothing like it's yeah. so out of body to have something that was living in your brain all of a sudden come to life in front of you by people who are doing their own thing with it too you know they make it their own and then have an audience experience it it is it is all the things it's very scary and yeah. it's very very exciting yeah i feel super lucky to be doing this oh, that's so great um so amy you're based in washington state now yes Yes, I'm on Whidbey Island. On Whidbey Island, and you live in a in a dance hall. What is this? A dance hall with a stage? Tell me all about this. Okay, so my wife Kate is uh, I call her a Renaissance woman. She's a an artist, a writer, um, renovator of old spaces. So she bought this 112 year old dance hall. Back, it was a little younger back in 2003. It was being sold as a teardown. She, um, with a few bucks in her pocket, completely renovated it by herself. And I'm in the green room that is behind the actual stage on the other side of this wall. We kept She kept oh the original gosh. stage. We do house concerts and, and play readings and poetry slams. Um, mm. And it's just amazing, big, big, beautiful, um, spacious old building that we live in that I'm looking out on, you know, firs and cedars and this beautiful forest around it. So um, I, I say, though, my gifts are taste and timing because Kate is awesome. And she did most of the work before I showed up a few years later. <laughs> so I have to give her all credit for this. But yeah, it's a pretty, it's pretty magical for a playwright to be living in a old place with a stage. Yeah. What kind yeah. of what kind of a dance hall was it? Was it like a community center or yeah. did somebody own it? And it was built by the community. They built, there's a, a little general store right down from us that was built as the schoolhouse. And our place was the place where they did Thanksgiving dinners and weekend fiddling wow. contests and dances and parties. And, you know, yeah, it was, it, and then it was the VFW had it in the sixties for a number of years. And then it was just sitting empty and nature started taking it over. She, when she bought it, it was full of bats. It had trees growing through the windows. I mean, it was really going back to nature and she completely um, resuscitated it. So. Oh my it gosh. Is amazing. It is amazing. There's nothing. Yeah. Okay. So while you were renovating this place, how did you meet Paul? How, where does Paul come into this and how you two <laughs> met while you're on Whidbey Island in this amazing dance hall house? And Paul is in Texas and New York and Chicago and many. How did how did you two come together? Well, so first, let me just say that Paul Cruz is like a brother from another mother, because we <laughs> as soon as we met, we were just like, I know you. I love you. We need to work together. And we were brought together by the fabulous Liz Engelman, who is Legend. the connector of all good people. Um, and she was just like, I think you two need to know each other. I was in Minneapolis working on The Last Babushka, where it, it's, um, it was developed at Theater Latte Da last summer, and where Natalie lives. And, um, and that's where Liz is. And she connected me with Paul. And we, we um, had an amazing cinnamon bun and coffee. <laughs> and then we went on this uh, beautiful walk around a lake and just talked about um, dreams and things we wanted to do. And um, uh, one of them is a podcast, which we haven't gotten to yet, but uh, but the other was this idea for Play Club. And um, I have to say, I could not be doing it without Paul. Um, I feel like our skills are are very complementary and our, our philosophy about theater and what it is and why we do it. And 
um, you know, our queerness. Like there's just so many things that, that just, mm-hmm. it's just kind of amazing when you meet someone on a first date and you're like, this person's going to be in my life. So wherever mm. play love and all of this goes, we will always be in each other's lives. And you, you've already been adopted by my mom and sister and my dear brother's <laughs> name is Paul. Actual bio brother's name is Paul. So uh, <laughs> it was meant to be. Oh, Amy. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, let's let's get right to Play Club. Uh, Paul, do you want to tell me what Play Club is and how it works? Oh gosh, I usually have Amy do this, so this is a good. I want to hear this it. This is good for me. <laughs> yeah. So our Play Club is a book club with a theatrical twist, and uh, functionally, it is a subscription club that members join. And each month we designate a featured playwright and a play of that playwright. Um, Our members who are at this point around 200, a little over 200 strong. 245. Wow. 245. Yeah. Read the featured play and meet uh, three times during the month. You can come to all three meetings. You come to one, you come to none um, to discuss the play in a small group discussion. And then at the end of each month, um, typically at the end, the featured playwright joins us live over Zoom and has a really beautiful conversation with Amy about their work, about the featured play. And that conversation culminates in a live question and answer session with our members, which have been really, I mean, it's been beautiful. And we've had um, we've had some of many of the most important uh this is silly to say, I don't know, most important, most produced, <laughs> inspiring, exciting playwrights working right now in the American theater. Um, people like Sarah Rule, people like Lynn Nottage, uh, Issa Davis, Ellen McLaughlin were the first four who we had. Um, Lauren Yee has joined us. I could go down the list. I mean, there's um, all sorts of exciting folks and more folks to come. And um, each of the discussions is also recorded and made available to our members to watch later. So if you happen to not be able to see it, you can watch it again later. I've seen people um, cry in our conversations. I've seen people burst out laughing. I've seen people um, have revelations about uh, what it means to have a live text. We had a really interesting conversation once about how plays are similar to biblical text in that they get interpreted a bunch of different ways. Mm. It's yeah, it's been really cool. I'll Amy, I want to do want to turn it over to you in case there was anything that I missed. What else? What else is there to say? Really good. You should do this more often. Um, The um, (laughs) I think I think one thing you didn't miss about the experience is just that the the playwright also can invite a collaborator to join the join them in that conversation, which is just something that has evolved. It's not something we thought of at the beginning, but, um, but they've had, you know, directors, designers, actors join them. And that just makes it an even richer conversation because I think um, for so many people who are joining, um, so we have, you know, students of all ages, it's a cross-generational community. Um, We have theater makers, we have um, uh theater lovers, people who just love going to plays and never really thought about reading. I love what you said, Paul, about, oh, there are actually people who are living who are writing plays because I think yeah. I think that is happening for some people. And I also just think, oh, plays actually exist on the page first. Like they can be read and studies as, as literary works. Um, and of course, you know, we think about studying Shakespeare and, you know, but not necessarily contemporary playwrights. Um, so, so there's just like light bulbs going on for people um, in these discussions that I facilitate that are small group. All of this is on Zoom now um, with the addition of we've just started to do meetups and go see plays together. So I was just in the Bay Area and we saw Lauren Yee's Cambodian rock band at Berkeley Rep and um, Lauren Gunderson's musical Justice at Marin Theater Company. And about 20 people came, play club members, and we got to meet artists. And, you know, it was really exciting. So we'll be doing more of that, too. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I love it. And how did you come up with this concept? Whose idea was it? How did it happen? It was it was my idea during the pandemic um, because I felt like, you know, sitting here alone in my room, you know, joining people on Zoom um, and feeling like what's going to happen to theater when we're going through this thing where people can't be in person and how much our art form relies on people being able to be in person. Um, and, and also how we were starting to learn during the pandemic to use things like Zoom 
for more meaningful conversations. I think up to then it was just seen as like a, a platform to meet, but it's, I started like engaging with people all over the world in like, I have friends across the world now who I really consider friends. I've only ever met over zoom. I may never meet in person, but we started to, it became much more of a, of a, a, a communal gathering space, I think. So, so those changes happened. Um, but I've always wanted to share my love of this art form with people because there's really nothing like it. The fact that it is a literary work um, that comes out of a person or people's heads and is on the page. And then though, it actually doesn't fully live until other people inspire it or breathe life into it. Actors, directors, mm-hmm. And then it comes, becomes something new. And then each time it's produced at something new. And then each performance of that production is new. It's just this ethereal form that has, that's alchemical. It requires so many different people's creativity to um, realize it. And um, I think a lot of people are very curious about that process, but haven't really necessarily felt invited into it or a Mm. way to understand it from the inside. I think theater can feel kind of elitist or a little intimidating because you know these people do it, but you don't really know how it happens. So we're kind of like pulling back the curtain on that. And Mm -hmm. and I've been so um, inspired by how personally the playwrights and collaborators talk about what they do and when it works Mm -hmm. and when it doesn't work and and where their ideas come from it's just been a really deep rich conversation with each artist um, each time yeah what are each of your roles in, in in producing each month's programming and i i think you have a couple other people who who help you as well and so what what is everybody's job and how and how they make it happen you want to go first, Paul? Well, I'll say firstly, this is a family business, which is, which is I think, wonderful. <laughs> um, two of the folks who, who I think, <laughs> I will say, uh, Amy's sister and niece, even if it wasn't true that these people were related to Amy, they're just incredibly brilliant, smart uh, folks who we get to work with, uh, Marlo Nash and, um, and Maeve. Um, and the four of us kind of make up the core team um, Amy and I, of course, are um, working most closely and most frequently. Um, although, Amy, I'll let you talk about educational programming because that's kind of coming up on the horizon and Maeve is doing a lot of work for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so functionally, our roles are that I work as, um, I'll say, like a communication specialist. For me, what that's meant is I do things like building the website, um, helping craft uh, media messages and photos. Um, I edit together each of the recordings of the video, which is very minimal. We mostly leave them, you know, as they happen. Um, and then I, um, during the discussion at the end of the month with the playwright, I mean, in the in the background, the person behind the curtain, kind of uh, making sure that uh, when speakers are speaking, they're highlighted, uh, I curate questions that come in through the chat so that Amy can ask them to the playwright. And um, more recently, as we've been growing, I've um, I'm, I'm a sounding board. Um, I think Amy, if that's mm-hmm. yeah, for sure, accurate. Yeah. So we are are dreaming what what this um, thing that we've started that Amy had this brilliant idea to do and is now in reality happening. What more it can become, and I think that there's a lot of um, We've, we've noted, you know, there are a lot of um, individual theaters and organizations who have done book clubs about plays before. Typically, they're local, like um, they're for a theater company. Um, one of our partners, uh, oh gosh, who did the uh, the book club, Amy? Was it Concord or was Concord it? Concord Theatricals, yeah. Concord had a, had a book club for plays that they did for a while. Um, but this is kind of a new thing on a national scale in this way. Um, and so it's been really interesting to see how it might continue to grow. Yeah. So, and what I'll, else would you add? Well, I'll yeah. just add, so I'll add that, um, my mom, Joe, our matriarch is also, um, probably the, she's the, um, first play club member and the one that shows up at every discussion <laughs> and always has yeah. good things to say. Um, this is, yeah. you know, this is something too, that I think that people love book clubs and they love reading and talking about things and that, that, yeah. that the format is playful, but I would say the, the conversations are really intellectually 
you know, stimulating. They're and they're because they're about what the playwrights are writing about, which is everything, you know, and it's all the things that we're all grappling with right now as human beings in the 21st century and in this country and on the planet. So it's like it's kind of touches on so many different things. Um, but that's not just about the craft and making theater, but that's about what you know, what's on playwrights and theater makers' minds. Um, Paul mentioned, yeah, go ahead. Well, just real quick, because I I said what everyone did except you. (laughs) And it's, Amy does everything else. Like literally everything else that makes Play Club function is Amy. So she's facilitating the conversations. She's making connections with playwrights. She's she's running it. And then she she lets other folks help, (laughs) (laughs) which is... uh, is a gift. So I'll say that too. It's, it's Amy's the heart of, of this project. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. I, I, I feel really lucky and blessed that, that Paul <laughs> has shown up that my sister Marlo, as he mentioned, helps facilitate um, some of the conversations and, and Maeve, uh, my niece, uh, Maeve Nash is a, she's a theater artist in the DC area, but she's also a high school drama teacher um, award-winning, like she was the best high school given an award, you know, or nominated. Um, and she's amazing. She's an amazing drama teacher. And, um, you know, she and I started talking about, well, how could we bring play club to high school age people? And, um, so she and I have designed a program that we've just piloted this spring that is about bringing play club into, to classrooms and, and drama departments. Um, along the same model where they read and discuss the play. And we did um, Naomi Azuka's play Anonymous. That's the Homer's Odyssey, which was great because it's a contemporary version of that story. The students all kind of knew from having studied that, that story as a literary work. And now they were getting to see with a young person their age as the central character, you know, how, and in contemporary America, like how this, how she brought this to life. So they were very jazzed by it. Um, and Maeve created these amazing lesson plans that also inspired them creatively. So not only were they discussing the plays, they were writing monologues about identity and home. They were um, creating collaborative theater pieces inspired by different scenes from the play. So, so for like two weeks, they were going through this whole ex- their own experience with the play. And then I facilitated a couple of discussions with them just about plays and playwriting. And then they got to meet Naomi Azuka, who they were just like, ecstatic to get to actually be in conversation with the playwright. And I was thinking we were talking about our early experiences. If I had as a high school student had access Uh to, you know, these kind, these, this level of professional artistry, just how mind blowing that would have been and life altering to know that this thing that I'm doing that I'm loving doing right now can actually be like a career and a life that you have. And they just, they had, really good, deep questions for her. So, um, yeah, she enjoyed the conversation too. So we're going to have, um, others that we start to bring into this and our, our, our big dream is to launch this in a, in a bigger way, um, starting in the fall with education also because of budget cuts, you know, high school teachers are looking for, how do I bring professionals into the classroom? You know, how do, how do we do, um, how do we keep, the performing arts and, and theater and plays alive in the educational environment. So um, with both of these things, we're realizing that there's not really something out there that's doing exactly what we're doing, that it's pretty unique, mm. that there's a pretty big audience for it. And um, honestly, we're just at the place where we're, we're seeking investors and funding so that we can um, market it to a larger audience and so that it can grow into all the potential that we see that it has already. And, and I really feel like become a really vital part of the theater ecosystem because we're building an audience for new work. Already people are going to see plays that we're reading and talking about that they never would have thought of going to see before. Um, they're talking to their local theater saying, why aren't you producing work by Lauren Yee or, you know, um, mm-hmm. buying plays, um, which, that's a new thing. People generally mm-hmm. buy plays if they're going to produce that play, but now it's actually people are buying them to read them. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're, and then with the younger generation, just to start inspiring people at that point in life to either be part of theater or to continue to go see theater. Um, 
And as we grow, we'll be able to employ more theater artists. That's it's one of my goals that everybody that works with Play Club will have some kind of background in passion for the theater. So, um, so that it's we're giving back in that way too. That's so great. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> the next obvious question is what comes first, the play or the playwright? How do you decide what play to focus on? And how, how do you make that decision? Who are we going to have next month? How do you decide that? Um, the playwright. I start with the playwright. Um, I, I have a, I've just been in theater for decades and I was a producer when I was executive director of Hedgebrook for 25 years, we did a, a women playwrights festival. So, um, so I'm, I know, I know, or am a few degrees of separation from pretty much anybody um, doing theater in this country right now. And so that, so I, 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 you know, have a lot of people I can reach out to so far. Nobody has said no. A few people have said, you know, I'm, I'm too busy right now. So be back in touch. Um, but everybody is excited about it and seeing the potential of it. Um, and so, yeah, but I start with like, playwrights work who I love or, or, and, or who have something going on right now, like who have productions happening. Um, and then I work with them to choose which play of theirs they would like to um, share. I'm looking forward to when we can start to also include work by playwrights who are not yet produced. Um, and uh, so that we can, you know, boost their careers too. And there's some phenomenal yeah. writers who haven't had that opportunity yet. And I want to include them as part of this community too. That's I also, so great. I also, yeah. I asked Paul too a lot about who he, who's on his <laughs> radar, who we should be talking to. So most everybody you, you already knew, is that, is that right? Um, so far the one, there's a couple of people, um, Lauren Gunderson, I hadn't had a chance to meet yet. And now I, now I know her, um, Sam Hunter, um, through my friend Anita Montgomery, I was connected to him. So there, if there's somebody that I don't know, I just start reaching out to my network and say, I'd like to contact yes. this And it happens so quickly. Theater is such a close knit, generous yes. community that, you know. For sure. All right. So, so like I kind of do something similar where I reach out to playwrights that I don't know and ask them if I could interview them. And I am always surprised when they say yes. Are, are you surprised when like Lynn Nottage is like, yeah, I'll come on and do this or any of them. Are you surprised by any of them who say yes? Or are you like, yeah, of course they want to come on. I, so I guess I'm not surprised that they want to do it as much as that they will make time to do it because someone yeah. like Lynn is so in demand and so generous, you know, and, and Sarah rule, when I first got in touch with her was like, of course, absolutely. Paula Vogel, you know, is, um, I'm, I'm is interested and it just takes a while with some folks to just mm -hmm. get their schedule clear. But, um, but that generosity of someone saying, yeah, I'm in production, but I will, I will, take because really their only commitment is a 90 minute zoom and beyond that it's just saying yeah let, let me connect you with um who to talk to so we can get a discount on the plays and you know um but then their their actual time commitment is fairly minimal um but um but they've all said yes and then all of them have circled back to me afterwards and said what an amazing experience and they've shared these yeah. beautiful testimonials about how fun it was they've all said yes to doing it again um, and how, how necessary they feel like it is like the, the potential of it. Yeah. Who's on your list that, uh, on your wish list that you haven't been able to book yet or even haven't even reached out to maybe yet. Um, well, so Paula, uh, you know, I, I really want to get her, um, next year. Um, Dominique Morisot, I saw her, her play Confederates at OSF, so Dominique, if you're listening to this, I would love for you to, <laughs> and, and she and I don't know each other yet, but I would love to feature that play. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, we, we had um, Kiara Hudas who wrote the book for In the Heights and is very dear friends with him, but, but he and I don't know each other yet. That would be really fun. Who mm -hmm. else, Paul? Who I know. I'm trying to think. I, uh, I mean, Annie Baker. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who I, I was like having a workshop um, that we should reach out. I just love her plays so much. Um, I've been reading a lot of Will Arbery <laughs> recently. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, uh, it's, I, yeah, I'd have to think a little bit more about it because we have been, we've had such a, a wealth of, of kind of incredible people. I want to add to, and this is something that I was thinking about when you were asking us about our paths. I wish people in the theater would talk more about money too. And I think that's yeah. something that, you know, it, it, um, and we, just to be clear, we, we don't have a lot of, we don't have a lot of money. Yeah. We, uh, we are really lucky to have our members who generously um, uh, pay uh, to be a part of Play Club every month. And the vast majority of that money goes to a thank you stipend that um, is offered to each of the playwrights to participate. Um, Amy's generous to send some of it my way. <laughs> Amy, I think Amy, this is entirely a volunteer endeavor right now for for Amy, if that's okay to say out loud. Yeah, pretty much is. Um, yeah. And so, and, and the reason I think that's important too is that often in the theater we ask each other for free labor, um, and I don't yeah. think that I think it's wrong to ask, but I think it should be clear, right? It should be, it should be well known, and and we're able to offer a little thank you to folks who do join us, which I think is also a part of just the courtesy of of asking for time, right? For sure. Yeah. How do you decide what plays to select for each each playwright? Once you're like, oh, we're gonna have Lynn Nottage on. Uh oh, which of her plays do we want to, which, which one of her brilliant pieces of work are we right. going to feature? Well, so I, I hope Lynn just keeps saying yes, which so far she has, so we can just go through her whole canon because yes. it's all amazing. So we did Sweat first. I love Ruined. I would love for that to be one of them. We'll do another one of hers next um, January. Um, so, so with all of them, it's a conversation about which play now and let's talk about mm. you know, others moving forward. Um, one thing I wanted to add, though, is that something I'm excited to, to start to do in addition to these, um, to, to the discussions and, and the monthly things we're doing is, and we may do this through YouTube or some format like that, where people don't have to be members yet, but, but we will host conversations around topics and ideas. Like right now, I would really love to feature several of my trans and non-binary playwright friends in just in just a conversation about being them doing their work in this time and just yeah. give attention to here are some artists who are, you know, who are living through this very challenging time and writing about it and just just centering those those artists, you know what I mean? And, um, and then also reading their work and, and including it in play club, but just, but just to have a, another forum where we're just facilitating conversations that are about things that are happening in the world or in theater that we want to be talking about. Um, so that'll be another, I got lots of ideas. That'll be another, yeah. another, that one feels like it just wants to happen soon. I just, I feel like, That'd be really cool. yeah. That's great. Oh, so I've been an, a member of Play Club for a couple of months now, and um, I am really impressed <laughs> by the questions that you ask. Like as somebody who also has to come up with questions to ask playwrights, <laughs> I am really impressed by the the questions. That, how do you come up with these brilliant questions? Thank you. I love that asking um, asking for for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell your friend um, that um, uh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. It's, it's, it is funny that somehow coming up for question, with questions can be a little bit challenging. But um, yeah, uh, honestly, I, I usually have a few questions that I want to ask, and then the conversation takes the shape that it takes, depending on what the playwright wants to talk about. Um, I always love to ask, like you did with us, what's a what's a first experience of theater that you saw or you were in or you experienced and you're like, I have to do this with my life. Um, and those are always great stories. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, I mean, playwrights are so good at talking about what they do that, that often it goes in directions I don't necessarily expect. Um, oh, and I would just say too that these weekly discussions that I'm doing, lots of the questions are coming out of out of there. I mean, there's just so much fodder that that they are asking that they will come to that conversation and ask themselves live or in the chat, or they will say to me, "I'm I'm too shy to ask that question, but would you ask it?" And I'll work it into the, you know, into the conversation. And I go to Paul too. I'm always like, 
what should it, what should I be asking? What are the important <laughs> questions right now to get people to talk about? That's great. Um, Amy, in your bio, you say that Play Club is a venture that has grown into a movement. I think you may have touched on it a little bit, but not named it as a movement. But what? how is it becoming a movement right now? I feel it again, it's in this way, like you build something and you do not know who will show up. And you're like, will people show up? And then they start showing up and they're like, oh, look who's showing up. That's really interesting. And it starts to take its own shape. And so I've been really, really pleased that we have members from across the country, that it is cross-generational, that we have some, we have um, a mother and daughter um, joining from Mexico now. We had somebody um, sign up from China who hasn't come yet, but um, but I think that this, this potential of it being this uh, community that's coming from all over um, and from all different walks of life and that I think right now it we are so challenged by how do we have conversations across the things that divide us? How do we how do we figure out how to when we disagree, how to have civil discourse? And um, there's something about be- bringing people together in community around like when we talked about Dale Orlander Smith's Until the Flood, which is about mm-hmm. um, uh, Michael. Um, Brown, Brown. Michael Brown's um, death Mm -hmm. and where she interviewed people in that community and then brings them to life on stage herself. Mm -hmm. I mean, just really deep, interesting conversations around race that got awkward in some of the the smaller group discussions or got uncomfortable. And um, I would always follow up with um, BIPOC members of the group when they were in those conversations and say, was that, or, you know, how are you was, you know, or were there things we touched on that didn't feel good or how did I handle that? And what kept coming back to me was we need spaces to have these conversations. So people are going to say things that are, are naive or not completely empathetic without knowing it or, you know, mm-hmm. and, and this is a space that feels safe to go ahead and have those conversations rather than avoid them or try to move away from them. Um, and it's something that I, and Paul and I talk about this a lot, like how to facilitate, especially these, these conversations around race that the plays are bringing up as white people. And also um, I'm, I'm bringing in more um, BIPOC facilitators and uh, friends in the theater who, who could facilitate these discussions instead of just me, um, especially when it's an artist of color. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that I just will go back to your question is that for me, the idea of it as a movement is that there are more people engaging with these ideas that, that playwrights are grappling with in ways that they probably wouldn't be in their daily life if they weren't part of this community. That's so great. Have any new doors or projects opened up because you started Play Club? We'll start with you, Paul. I mean, we're we're pretty young. We're pretty young and new. I think the the new thing is Play Club right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean, certainly my relationship with Amy has 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 grown and and just fed me in so many different ways and being inspired by these plays. Um, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I would say that too. That it just keeps growing and surprising us in the the new directions it's going in or wants to go in, um, and mm-hmm. it is new. I mean, this is literally. I think it's we're right at the place where we started last year, so it's been a year. But we really we did a pilot and then we launched. So we're only four five playwrights into this first season right now. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is new. Oh my god! And you've had like everybody on it already almost everybody (laughs) not quite everybody (laughs) so many great names um well you you mentioned how you know you start something you don't quite know what direction it's going to go but at this moment what is your ultimate vision for play club do you want to answer paul oh hmm I mean, I think this is a question for Amy because the, the vision is her, but I can convey because we've talked about this. The vision is um, 
an organization that is uh, leading a movement. And at the heart of that movement is the idea that plays are literature and that they should be accessible. We haven't talked about that part. I'm making that up right now. Hope that's okay. Um, and that it becomes a sustainable income for the people who work at Play Club. And that um, it becomes uh, something that is available all over the country, no matter where you are. I mean, it currently is. But that more than that, um, these live meetups become something that can happen all over the country. So in addition to our online presence, we're also hosting um, going, you know, going to a play uh, in your hometown <laughs> mm -hmm. when our features are done. Um, and I think another thing that is really exciting and probably going to be taking off sooner than um, the other kind of ambitious things we have is the education program. So making it possible for someone to be, become a member of Play Club as an educator and uh, welcome into the classroom these working artists who we are privileged enough to, to know. I mean, it's already happening right now. So making that available um, nationally and maybe even internationally. I think is the dream. Amy, what would you, yeah. What That's, would you add? It's so good for me to hear you say these things and to just get to like, <laughs> like, oh, God, it's making sense. It's right. <laughs> um, right, right. Um, yeah. I think this, this thing of having people clamoring to go see new plays and, and for more of them to be produced. Um, we're Cambodian rock band, Lauren Yee's brilliant musical is on a national tour now that keeps adding dates. So we just saw it at Berkeley rep. They announced three more cities and we're already starting to plan meetups in each of those cities. We featured Cambodian rap band last um, November, but just um, with this opportunity of this, this show that I want everybody to see. And I don't think I probably can see it too many times. Um, just, you know, as a, as a way to, to, uh, come together with other play club members and also to share something that we've all read and talked about. Um, there's a, a friend, um, Stephanie Pound, who's in Houston, who's a play club member, went to see it there and wrote me and said, um, I got more from this um, than I did when I read it, but I'm realizing mm. that I got more from it partly because I had read it and talked about mm. it. So that, that, that symbiosis of that, you know, um, how you can explore these work in different ways and then see them together and it becomes a whole other thing. We're also, I'm also excited because um, Joe Nyo, the, the actor who plays Chum in that production, who's extraordinary, such an amazing, really, really complex role. And he just knocks it out of the park. Um, he went to University of Washington and he, he was in Seattle. And when it comes here to the Fifth Avenue Theater in the fall, um, I've already talked to him and to Lauren, and we're looking at doing a big, like getting as many people to a show as we can and celebrating Joe for um, coming back with this big role to his hometown. So, mm. um, but, but that, I just want, I want people to be going to theater, you know, I, theaters always struggle to get to fill the seats. That just shouldn't be true, you know, so I mm -hmm. want it to, to feel more accessible and be more um, and, you know, help help theaters also um, yeah. keep, keep their operations um, healthy and humming. For sure. So this is 101 stage adaptations. What are some of your favorite stage adaptations? I'll start with Paul. How loosely can I interpret that? As loosely as you want to. I think the best adaptation, and this is maybe not what I want to say, because what I'm thinking about are like movie adaptations of stage plays. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not what you intend. The other way. <laughs> Do you have one that's the other way? That's a movie that became a play. <laughs> No, not that I've, I mean, there are many, but I haven't seen one. Um, that's a good adaptation. Oh, yeah, I totally have one. Um, uh, Jahe Park has this play called Peerless, which is kind of an adaptation of Hamlet. Right, Hamlet? Scottish play. Macbeth, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, that Peerless, I would say Peerless, for sure. I love that one. Mm-hmm. I would say I am um, a huge fan of Ellen McLaughlin, who that's pretty much what she does is reinterpretations of Greek myths. She's got an Antigone that's being produced right now. And we read Iphigenia and other daughters as part of play club and love that play. Um, and I just think 
she's genius at, at doing that kind of work. And then just reading Naomi Azuka's, I know a lot of Naomi's work, but I hadn't read Anonymous, which is this, this Homer um, Odyssey adaptation is beautiful play. Um, she, she has choruses of refugees and mm. um, of women who are working in a, in a, you know, factory sewing. And I mean, just this, just the way she contemporized that play and deepened it for a, a current audience and for a young audience, I think is really pretty amazing. Um, those are two. I just, I love adaptations. I think they're really exciting. I have one more that I just saw actually this weekend. Uh, there's a company here called Walking Shadow Theater Company. And they did this play by Megan Gogarty, who actually teaches at your alma mater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Megan. Megan. Yeah. Um, and she wrote a play called Feast, which is about an hour long monologue from Grendel's mother. Mm. Uh, that start, it just starts very much as um, uh, kind of indicting Beowulf as this um, environmental plundering male asshole and then expands in ways that are just really subtle and beautiful to be about billionaires right now. <laughs> It was one of the best things I've seen in a in a while. It was fantastic. That's great. And it happened. It happened in this. Um, there's like a kind of mead hall ish bar here called Black Forest. Um, and you could we I, I went with Liz who who does not eat uh, meat. She's a she's a vegan, and so they did serve a feast beforehand. So there was a dinner, and then you know you got to see this beautiful, disturbing, angry play, which mm. I adored. Oh, that's great. You know, I've been to Black Forest at least once. That's a great place. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Clearly, I need to come back to Minneapolis. (laughs) Paul, what is one thing a playwright can do today to improve their writing? Mm. Hmm. I mean, read plays, join play club. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no, I mean, in all honesty, reading plays, I think, is is a huge thing. Seeing work, I think showing up for the community where you live and showing up to your writing are the two biggest things that any writer can do. And I say that as someone who continually fails to do that. But I, when I do, when I remember to show up and see plays and when I um, and, and get in a good habit of consistently showing up to the page to write... Um, the writing improves. I think the other thing that really is vital for any theater artist is to cultivate peers in a community of writers, which is hard. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do, but having other people read your work and reflect it back to you, I think is pretty vital. Um, This is, I think it's vital for all kinds of writing, but theater is uh, just a very, um, intensely social endeavor. And I think having it exist inside community has been how I, you know, get fulfilled and continue to make a life as a, as a playwright for at least part of my time. Yeah. Can I add on to that? Just to say, um, I was going to say also go see plays. I'm, I'm always amazed when I'm sitting in a theater before it starts, how immediately I start having ideas because you're, mm. you, it's like that the empty space idea, right? That you you mm. will fill with your stories, and there's just something about being in the theater that sparks me. But I also am noticing. Um, I've mentioned Cambodian rock band, and I, I saw a really beautiful um, performance at the Whidbey Island Center for the Arts, where I live here, um, Thoreau at Home, which was written by the poet David Wagner, adapting Thoreau's journals. And my friend Todd Jefferson Moore played Thoreau. It's this beautiful piece. Um, but I was struck after that in the Q&A about how much of the theater I'm seeing right now is direct address. And yes. for I, when I was at grads in grad school and, you know, direct address was not something you wanted to do as much. It was like, don't break the fourth wall, keep the story contained because it's too easy to, to talk to the audience. But what struck me is um, I think there's a reason that's happening right now because of the time we're living in. I think there's a, a way consciously or not that theater artists are saying to the audience, be in dialogue with me. 
and be yeah. awake to what's happening and be aware of what's going on around you. And don't just sit back and be entertained, you know, because that was my mm -hmm. experience. In, in all of those shows I've seen recently that are doing that, my experience is I'm part of something. And even mm -hmm. if it's not interactive um, or like bringing someone up on stage, you know, it's still, there's a way in which you are being engaged as an audience member that is, um, it it lets you not sit back and and not you're you're the other person or people in in the story and i kind of i mean i i'm not a historian but i think it would be interesting to see what was going on with german theater you know um as as um hitler was coming in like in different i just think there's something about the time yeah. that the theater is responding to um, and that also for me was very freeing as a writer because I have kept myself from direct address. And then I was like thinking about what I'm working on right now, thinking, oh, it could really actually work for a character to step out and address the audience and then go back in. I think about Cabaret. I think about mm -hmm. um, Fiddle on the Roof. Like so many musicals do this where there's a character who's talking to you, but then goes back in and is part of the story. Um, yeah. So having both of those things, I think, is really interesting. But um, anyway, it's just something. Maybe it's what I'm going to see right now. But it just it just dawned on me that there's that's an interesting current thing that feels like it's it's going on. Yeah, for sure. So my final theater question is: If you found a magic lamp with Dionysus inside, and he could grant you one theater wish what would you wish for? We'll start with Amy this time. Oh, goodness. Um, that's such a big and interesting question. I think I'm going to have to think about it for a minute. Do you have an answer, Paul? And then you, we can come back to me. I see Paul thinking. I do as a little glib. <laughs> Be glib. Yeah. An end, an end to capitalism. I think that would be the best thing for theater. Mm -hmm. Universal healthcare. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think that would be wonderful for theater and the arts and humanity at large. Mm. I think that along those lines, something that's already happening that has needed to happen is just opening the space up to voices that haven't been centered. And I yeah. would like to see it go way further in that direction. Um uh, all the arts are, but again, theater, because it's a live embodied experience, it has the, I feel it, the potential to have an impact and transform the way people think and see the world more quickly than perhaps other art forms do. So, um, so I want to, I want to just applaud that and the, the theaters that are doing that and say more, more of that, keep doing it. There is an audience for work mm -hmm. by everybody who has not had the opportunity to have their work um, produced as often or um, paid attention to. Yes. I feel like a, a big part of that too is like white American theater realizing that, oh, there are many other performance traditions mm. yes. <laughs> in the United States that have existed for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I wonder sometimes... Yeah. Is it a welcoming in or is it like a let's dissolve and go out? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Paul, yeah. what's next for you? Oh my gosh. It's so, I am leaving on Thursday to go to New York <laughs> because I'm, I'm really lucky to have a play of mine, um, have what I'm calling like a workshop production um, in the Fresh Fruit Festival in New York. Um, it's a play of mine called Eel Pout, uh, which is a farce and a, I'm calling it a fantasia on Midwestern masculinity. Um, it's about an, <laughs> okay, an I'm so there. <laughs> we're coming. We're going to, we're going to yeah. pack us in the suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's like an ice fishing bachelor party that goes horribly wrong. It includes a talking fish. It's super queer and funny. Um, my friend Rachel Walter is uh, directing it. She's a film director, actually, and is working in theater for, um, I think, the first time in a very long time. So I'm excited. And that is happening. We're rehearsing all month, and then it's happening at the end of the month uh, with three performances on the 25th, 29th, and 30th. Um, Amazing. At the Wild Project on the Lower East Side. Ooh. Uh, so, yeah. 
I'm very excited. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Amy, what's next for you? Oh, this musical, The Last Babushka, I am just so yes. excited to get it into the world. I've, I've mentioned Natalie, Liz Engelman's the dramaturg, Lisa Rothi, um, my friend in New York is um, director who signed on to do it. And and we're just um, in a rewriting phase after the Theater Latte Don Next Festival last summer, and, and then we'll be looking for development opportunities. But the interesting thing about this piece for me is that we started it several years ago, and then um, like, like right before the pandemic, and then um, we're developing it during the pandemic through Zoom readings. And then, of course, this war broke out. So in the time we've been working on it, it's gone from some a, a project people were intrigued by to being about people in a part of the world that now we know so much more about and their history and this question of how are they able to be who they are right now to be fighting for their country and for democracy. And um, this, this piece is so much about that from a very matriarchal perspective of women who have been there their whole lives and are now living off of radiated. Well, now for 35 years um, have been living off of radiated land and are outliving people who were evacuated and, did not go back because of their connection to homeland and home. So as we live in this time of climate change and of being so aware of all the things we're doing to the earth and of needing to hear from women and I think elder women um, and cross-generational connection, there's just so many things that the piece is about that just keep making it more relevant as, as things unfold in life and in the world. So I'm very, very eager to um, get it out, get it out there. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to see both of those productions. That sounds amazing. I keep me posted on all the updates on all of those things. (laughs) For sure. For sure. And Melissa, and Melissa, thank you for this. I just love what you're doing with this podcast. I think it's such a great venue and opportunity for people to talk about their projects and get to know each other's work. So yeah, it's really awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, where can people follow each of you and where can people sign up for Play Club? Well, Play Club is easy. It's at theplayclub.org. And we have a Facebook and, and Instagram um, social media that's going to get more active here shortly. Um, and those are the best places actually to find me right now, too. That's, um, that's where I'm at. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Paul? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can learn about all my work on my website, which is paulwcruz.com. P-A-U-L-W-K-R-U-S-E. Awesome. As always, I'm going to have all of that in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining me today, you two. This was so great. Thank you. Thank you yeah, I really Beautiful. enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of 101 Stage Adaptations. If you liked it, I hope you'll forward to a friend today. Sharing is caring, and word of mouth is still the best form of advertising. So I hope you'll share it with someone today. 101 Stage Adaptations is produced by me, Melissa Schmitz, with the help of Hello Podcast Media. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.